Welcome to Locally Sourced Joey, where we're teaching you how to live your life a little bit better. Today's episode features a guest who is more world-traveled than Carmen Sandiego, but a little bit easier to find, Taylor Gill, who's a virtual business assistant, digital nomad, uh, has a digital nomad blog, YouTube channel, expert traveler, and uh, she's going she's gonna to teach you a few things. So we'll chat about how to start your own business, the trials and tribulations and opportunities that have come from that, some travel advice, whether you've never flown on a plane before or are a seasoned veteran traveler, and some of the top sites to see in the world. All right, let's hop into it. Here we go. Ah! Taylor, you have the the entrepreneurial spirit, it seems like, because you started your own business. That's usually step one, I would say, to becoming an entrepreneur is wanting to start your own business. Um, (laughs) And so I'd like to just kind of start off by having you dive into what that whole process was like. When were you like, hey, I want to do this? And, And what kind of challenges and lessons learned have you picked up along the way? Yeah. So I actually never wanted to start anything of my own. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In high school, I worked for a frozen custard shop uh, that my like English teacher, her husband has started it and my best friend has started working there. So I started working there at 16 and I saw how hard they worked and how much really went into like starting a business from like the very, very beginning. And I remember thinking to myself, yeah, I never want to do this. Like, this is not for me. So it is really funny to me looking back, like, you know, 15 years later and being like, huh, how did that happen? Um, but the, really my biggest catalyst for kind of going out on my own and doing my own thing was I really wanted to travel. So prior to going out on my own, I was a study abroad advisor So I had the opportunity to actually intern in London, working with study abroad students on the ground, which was amazing. And I loved it. And that was really where my initial feelings of like wanting to live overseas and work uh, for long extended periods of time, that passion really came from. So I came back to the U.S. after that internship and became a study abroad advisor and so for six years, I talked about travel, and I rarely got to go anywhere. Oh. Um, yeah, it was really disappointing. I became an expert on London, and I think I went once in that entire like six-year period for like just one short work trip. And I came back like sick and ill, and being like, I that's not the kind of travel I want to do. I don't want to do quick five-day trips. I don't want to do, you know, weekend vacations, which are great. And there's nothing wrong with those, but I looked at like what I wanted and I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. So I was kind of unhappy my job and I was applying for different jobs and nothing was really happening. And I was like, is that really what I want is to continue to just like be in one place? The answer was really no. And so I tried to figure out what I can do. So through just a series of events, Um, That included taking my first international solo trip to Europe. Um, And, you you know, Facebook knows everything about you. So I, at some point, had searched something. And when I got back from this trip, I got an ad for a virtual assistant, like, freelance course to learn how to become a virtual assistant. And I was like, "How how did Facebook know? And so I signed up for that course. 
and I did it. And I was like, you know what? I could do this. And so I started my freelance business. And within six months, I had quit my job, moved in with my mom, um, because I was living in Denver, Colorado at the time. So moved back to Texas, lived with her for about eight months, built that up and saved some money. And then in May 2018, I left for New Zealand and I spent a year in New Zealand on the working holiday visa. Do you have a uh, favorite New Zealand term? That you picked oh, up while you were over there? So many good <laughs> ones. Um, yeah. So one of the ones I really wanted to pick up and I never did was they say sweet as. Um, and they use it for everything. So you know how we would just be like, oh, sweet. They'd be like, sweet as. <laughs> there's just a little bit, there's a little extra to it. Um, but they put as on the end of everything. So they'd be like, oh man, it's raining as outside. Or like, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they just add it to everything, and I just absolutely loved it. But I wasn't around enough Kiwis who used it for me to eventually pick it up. That was one of my favorites. I mean, that's a pretty solid one, yeah. Yeah, and they also say, which I actually already kind of did before, uh, but it was a kind of joke amongst Kiwis that the, to everything they say, yeah, no. Like, they're so nice that they never want to just say no outright so they always say yeah no (laughs) yeah no (laughs) so uh that's also that's actually one I have kind of picked up and I find myself using it pretty often that's a good one I like it it's very it's very positive and you're yeah you're (laughs) starting it off on the right foot even if you're ending a little more negative yeah with a with a no on the end and I probably say my nose a little more direct still when I use it just because I have no problem saying no uh but they they do it like yeah no (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a skill you just develop as you get older like I because I also used to have big problems saying no and now like you said yeah it's it's great it's great to do it I still occasionally (gasps) will feel obliged but yeah it's nice (laughs) or I should say no it's nice Yeah. Yeah. It's so freeing just to be like, no, I don't want to do that. And I don't feel guilty about saying no to this. Wonderful. Wonderful. And so you land in New Zealand and Mm -hmm. how, how have you kind of balanced the freelance life? Cause I know when there's, you know, there's not the traditional office or anything like that, it can be a little, Mm -hmm. a little tough to kind of keep, keep everything aligned with each other. Uh, So how have, have you found it to be, not really that much of a challenge or have you kind of had to set some rules for yourself about work versus getting to explore these awesome places that you're in? Yeah, I definitely have to set some boundaries. Um, although I would say in general, it hasn't been too challenging. Um, I think having worked in like a corporate setting for six years or so kind of gave me that structure to begin with. And so I've kind of just continued to follow that structure I just, I don't have a commute and if I don't feel well, I can kind of, you know, push back my start time or I can get things done really, really quickly and finish by three so I can go for a hike before the end of the day or something like that. So I do have the flexibility to change my schedule around, which I really enjoy. And that was one of the things I really didn't like about corporate life uh, was the days that I didn't have a whole lot to do, but I had to be there because the time on the wall said that I had to be there. 
Um, and so I'm not against putting in the extra time when the extra time is needed, but it really bothered me having to be there when that time wasn't needed. So now as a freelancer, the balancing my work, it kind of comes out that same way. Last Friday, in fact, I actually, I worked like a 10 hour day because that was what I needed to do just because I had been on vacation and kind of not been working a whole lot. So I just sat down one day and I kind of got it all done. Um, although I would say for the most part, I generally try to kind of keep like a nine to three or nine to four type schedule, just with the flexibility to change my plans if I need to. So when I was in Bali for a week, um, some of the people I was staying with are like, Oh, we're going to go do a sunrise hike. And like, Oh man, that sounds amazing. So we had to wake up at like, I don't know, four in the morning to this like two hour bus to this hike and go up. And then it ended up being super cloudy and misty and foggy. So we saw zero sunrise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The pictures online look amazing. That was not what we saw. And then take another bus and like come back home. So I didn't get back to our housing until probably about noon. So it was a long day and a long morning and then I was tired. And so I think I started work probably around like 2 p.m. that day. So that's, you know, knowing that I keep a schedule most of the time and then just keeping things open and flexible for when I want to go do something really fun. Um, that's actually a really, a big plus to what I do. Um, but I would say like, as far as balancing work, there was an adjustment period. So not only was I, you, you know, I had been working remotely for about eight months, but that was in a very controlled setting, being at my mom's house, a very comfortable place. I now have moved myself to a new country. Um, I was house sitting, so I was living in other people's houses every two to three weeks. So trying to get into a new routine, you know, every every few weeks or so, you know, just figuring out how their house works. Every All the appliances and things work differently in different countries. So just like trying just the basics, finding grocery stores, everything's called differently. You know, at least they, it was an English speaking country. So that helped a lot. But yeah, like kind of throwing myself in the deep end. I gave myself a lot of grace those first three or four months of not being super productive and that being okay, just because it was a really big transition at one time. For sure. And I think uh, when people hear the term virtual assistant, they might have kind of a, a thought that pops into their mind. Um, oh, so many so. thoughts. I, it's funny what people ask me what that means. <laughs> so when when they do ask you, what's what's the answer that you have for them? Um, I usually keep it pretty simple. I just say, I'm like, oh, I'm a freelancer and I have clients and I help them run their online businesses. Um, and that usually kind of helps them at least get a picture of what I do because people think they're like, oh, like Siri. So they think I'm a virtual assistant, (laughs) like Siri somehow, which I'm like, I don't understand. Um, or they think that I'm a personal assistant. And so they ask me like, oh, well, how do you like run errands for your boss and things like that? I'm like, no, no, no. So I've actually started changing my title to say virtual business assistant to kind of clarify that I do business related tasks um, for my clients. And those services include everything from like customer support to email marketing to sales funnel creation, video editing. Um, I done oh what else have I done so many online course creation 
yeah, just a wide range. Oh, one of my clients, I do shipping fulfillment for their Amazon orders, Ooh. which is really random. Um, I've done, you know, interviews for an HR person and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, yeah, a wide range of tasks, but all business related and all things that can be done online. Is your clientele sort of spread out around the globe or have you found like more American clients, more New Zealand clients, something like in between there? Yeah. Yeah. So all my clients are based in the U S and I've been really fortunate since I started and that all my clients have come from my network of people that I already knew. So when people ask me like, how do you get clients? I'm like, I really don't know. I don't know how other people do it (laughs) because I took a leap of faith. So I'm still working at my, my like day job and I didn't really want them to know that I was starting this thing on the side. So I was keeping it, you know, on the DL and then one day I was just like, no, it's time for me to post it. It's time for me to let people know what's, what's going on. And I posted on my Facebook page and f- that was really the moment that it started snowballing and getting started and people that I had worked with in the past or that knew me and needed help. They all started reaching out to me. And then from there, they've started referring me to other people. So it really all kind of came from my network. And so because of that, everyone is still in the U S and I haven't actually yeah, found any global clients, I guess. Nice. I, I imagine that would be a little bit of a language shift as well. Like even for a New Zealand client, having to get some of that lingo down pat. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that would be an, an yeah. interesting challenge if nothing else. But mm-hmm. I, I think you kind of nailed it. Like, I mean, obviously there are ways to get the word out about yourself, but having a network of people that are willing to sing your praises, I've found to be very helpful as well as a writer. It just people are, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just turned in a story last week about that was fully from someone I used to work with saying, Hey, this place is looking for a writer. You're a good writer. It's on topics, you know, let me make an email introduction. And I said, thank you. And then I said, thank you again after I turned in. <laughs> very wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Because people always, I mean, if you can, find someone that has that personal recommendation, then that helps build that trust automatically. And it saves the person hiring you or contracting you time and energy and wondering if this is going to work out because they're just like already kind of are able to take the next step with you and be like, yeah, let's just move forward. So it saves a lot of time and energy in the long run too when people get personal recommendations. For sure. I've been hearing uh, so many ZipRecruiter and Indeed.com ads uh, just on the radio and on podcasts and stuff. And it does just, it is just such an exhausting search going through that. So yeah, you're definitely getting the leg up there by having someone just be like, here, problem solved. You're fine. (laughs) Yeah. And so as you mentioned, you get to do a ton of traveling with your job. And I, am I, am I being too, uh, congratulatory of you and no, that's not the right word like too praising of your your travel skills when I say that you're an adept traveler an expert traveler even maybe no I mean you could say that excellent so why then, not let's, <laughs> so then let's get because I I still will chat with people who say stuff like I've never been out of the United States like I've never been on an airplane and I that's always baffling to me because I I'm like you in that I love to travel. I love to see new parts of the world. 
but not everyone is like that. And, and someone taking a trip, that might be their first trip somewhere. Um, so what kind of advice do you have for, for newer travelers or things that maybe you wouldn't think about while you're traveling, but it's still super important to have that knowledge? Mm, for new travelers. So we're talking about people who really have like, have like no experience like you were talking about, like never been on a plane. I mean, you can do, you or... can do a little bit of both. We can do like a tiered, <laughs> you could do like one tip for newers, okay. newers newbies, and then one, one tip that maybe uh, even more experienced travelers might not know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, my advice for so many things in life is just to just do it. Right. So <laughs> I think this Nike is, wants uh, to have a word is, with you real quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, wait. Yeah, that is the Nike slogan. <laughs> Hold on. That's not my slogan. What is my slogan? Oh, just, well, okay. Yeah, it's kind of similar. So, <laughs> okay. So I mentioned that when I first started, um, or there were multiple catalysts that kind of like kicked me into drive and like made me start my own, doing my own freelance stuff and start traveling. Um, the other thing I didn't mention was that I was turning 30. So that was a big one. And the working holiday visa I was on for New Zealand expired at 30. So I, I it was sort of a now or never thing. Um, but also when I was applying for those jobs and nothing was happening for like a year, I read a book called Just Do Something. So a little different than just do it, but it's called just do something. And cause I was kind of paralyzed and I was kind of stuck. So I would say like for people who are newer travelers, it's probably really, really scary. Like for me, I take it for granted how easy it is and how natural it feels to me at this point. But I know that it's not that way for everyone. Um, and so my advice is really like, just go through the process because it is a process and there are multiple steps to traveling everything from like packing to checking in at the airport and then getting to your destination and figuring out how to get to your accommodation. Um, and depending on what time of day it is, that can all really change. And then, you know, figuring out what you're going to do in the place that you actually go to. So there are a lot of steps to it and there's a lot of research to be done. But I would say, just don't be scared of it. Just go through the process. And the more you do it, the more it'll actually feel comfortable um, and to be open-minded. So even working as a study abroad advisor, I was having students go halfway across the world and they, within the first couple of days, would contact me upset because everything was different. I literally at one time, I could tell you some good stories, but I <laughs> had a student one time email me her first week in London and she, she had, was going through culture shock and she was homesick. But one of her reasons was, is that London's really old. Like everything's old. And I, I kind of just laughed and I was like, yeah, like it is. Everything is really old. It's a really old city. I don't really know what you expected. Um, so I, I turned my, focus then on my job at the time to be like my job is to set expectations. And I think that's really important for anyone who's traveling is to make sure that your expectations are set properly so that when you get to where you're going, you can't actually enjoy the experience. So if you expect everything to taste the same, even something that's, you know, similar to home. So say like a hamburger or a pizza or something that you might eat at home and you eat it overseas 
it's probably going to taste a little different and that's okay. But just like being open to new experiences and how different cultures and different places do things, everything from their transportation system to their cultural norms and to their customs, just being more of a sponge instead of trying to insert yourself and make everything else around you work. I really think that's like the biggest thing to traveling is to just be really flexible. Um, So I think that's probably most important for new travelers um, because they're going to stay to things that are comfortable, things that they know, which is understandable, but trying to just like break yourself out of that every once in a while and kind of go with the flow. And you'll find that when you stop resisting against everything around you, that things actually work out a lot better. Um, Let's see, advice for like seasoned travelers, for people who are, I don't know, I just, I'm a big proponent of like packing light, right? So like I've, I've been traveling for about 15 months now, I have a suitcase and a backpack, and I even have more than other people that I know. Um, but my, my suitcase weighs about 12 kilograms and my backpack weighs about five kilograms. I wish I knew what that was in pounds, but everywhere (laughs) I've been, they weighed everything in kgs and I don't know how much that is in pounds right now. Um, but I would say, yeah, like travel light and travel, uh, yeah, just travel light. So my biggest role for my, myself is that whatever I have. I carry or like whatever I travel with, I have to be able to carry it upstairs up at least like three or four flights of stairs by myself. Um, and I think that is huge, especially when you are traveling and you're going someplace that only has trains or stair, like really, really old windy narrow staircases like they have in Europe, you're up and down train platforms, you're in and out of airports. Um, the more nimble, you can be with what you're carrying in your luggage, like the better your experience of the physical act of traveling is going to be. So that's always one of my, my personal rules. And it's something I've had to tell people uh, more recently. So I was in um, Edinburgh just a couple weeks ago. And if people don't know, Edinburgh is a city of levels. Everything is on a different <laughs> level all in right downtown. And the staircases are long and they are stone and they're unforgiving and um we were walking yeah from to the train station from our housing and I had a suitcase and my friend I was with had a backpack and he kept being like are you gonna be okay we have to go up those stairs and I'm like I am fine like I promise you like I can get up those stairs and I will be you know right behind you no big deal so that's one of my biggest rules for myself And that is just from years of watching people struggling, carrying luggage around. And I think it's hilarious and unnecessary. Yes, I would wholeheartedly second that having been in situations where either myself or someone in my party has crazy amounts of luggage. I also did a little quick math, uh, 11 pounds for your backpack and 26 and a half pounds for your suitcase. So keep those limits. I mean, that's still quite a bit too. Yeah, I could probably get rid of some stuff. But with house sitting, which is how I travel most often, I do actually get to travel a little slower and stay in places for extended periods of time, which is how I prefer to travel. Um, So I tend to acquire more things. Uh, If I were constantly on the move, if I were moving like weekly, I would probably get rid of some more stuff. So what do you do when when your suitcase fills up? Do you send it back 
to your parents or do you just like get rid of stuff? I'm Marie Kondo it, man. <laughs> I am a huge Marie Kondo fan. Uh, I even have a whole blog post on Marie Kondoing your suitcase uh, for long-term travelers specifically uh, because it is, it's easy to really acquire things. So I kind of got to that rule where if I buy something, I have to get rid of something. And even before I started traveling, I would go through my closet at least three or four times a year and just purge and get rid of stuff. It just feels really good to me. And I really love doing it. And so I'll do the same thing with my suitcase. I've already gone through it twice this year, actually, and purged it and reorganized it. And every time it's just every time I pick it up, I'm like, oh, it's so light. It feels so good. (laughs) I thought you were going to say you've done it twice on this call already. And I would have been very impressed. Gosh, that would be amazing. No. <laughs> <laughs> life goals, life goals to work for. And so despite your travel, I, I'm trying to think of another synonym for expertise, but I'm just going to say expertise, your travel expertise. <laughs> Occasionally the the travel snafus come and hit us. It hit me. I was in New York mm-hmm. earlier this month and just the subway adventures are, are fantastic on there. I was trying to go to a Mets baseball game. Ended up getting on a train thanks to Google Maps saying this is the correct train. And uh, Google Maps was wrong. You were wrong, Google Maps. And I am frustrated <laughs> with you. So don't don't use Google Maps for public transportation. That's my PSA. Um, ended up very south of where I needed to be. And then I uh, just had to take a lift oh, no. the way up there. But it was great. Mets games are fun. Very cheap. <laughs> Would recommend if yeah. you're in the city. I've Pro- actually had great experiences with Google Maps and transportation. So hmm. that's... Hmm. I'm not sure that should be a PSA, but maybe just a, a caution. Okay. Okay. A caution is good. <laughs> or just, I Although, guess, know I, how to read a map uh, better would help too. <laughs> yeah. In um, South Korea, funnily enough, uh, Google Maps does not work with public transportation there. You can't even get like walking directions. You mm. have, they have their own maps called Kakao. Um I just added that inflection there. That's but. more fun to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have yeah, it's like cacao talk, cacao maps, cacao delivery, like cacao everything. That's kind of what they all use. Well, cacao is good in some senses. One, I don't speak Korean or nor do I know Korean characters. So that was a little challenging. But the like the little dot doesn't follow you. So you can get directions, but then you're still having to like you know, walk a little ways and look at the map and try to figure out where you are on the map. So I would have to go in between like cacao and Google Maps <laughs> to, to like figure out everywhere I was going. And I kind of at some point just like let other people lead. And I just followed because I got exhausted trying to figure it out all the time. It doesn't sound too terrible. Letting other people do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Um, but yes, travel mishaps. So I had one happen to me just this past weekend. I, and really my first one. So in all the travel I've done, my first international trip was at 16. I studied abroad. I interned, uh, in London, like I mentioned, and, you know, I've been traveling for 15 months. I really have not had a really big travel mishap. Um, I actually, a couple of years ago was in a job interview for like a, a trip leader type position for like a international company. And they asked me this question. They're like, tell me a time when, you know, something happened to you traveling and how you solved it. And I was like, 
I re- I don't have one. Like nothing's nothing bad has ever happened. And I was like, maybe I should have just made something up because that probably wasn't a good response. But now I have something. So just this past weekend, I was traveling from Budapest, Hungary to Lyon, France, where I currently am. And it was a last minute house sit that I got. I was booking travel on Thursday and needing to leave on Saturday. So flights were way too expensive that last minute. And the train system between Budapest and Lyon, like just, it didn't really exist. Like there weren't that many options um, until I really got to like Switzerland. So I booked a bus, a 21 hour journey bus, which I have to tell you, I was not looking forward to already. I get really uh, motion sick. So I, yeah, it's, it's not good. So buses are the worst. And so I was like, great, 21 hours of just, you know, having motion sickness. This is going to be really fun. But I had to get here and that was the cheapest option. And so I get on the bus, we drive for maybe nine or 10 hours and I have to transfer buses in St. Gallen, Switzerland. So I get off the bus, it's like 4.45 in the morning. It's pitch black outside. Luckily it wasn't too cold, but it's kind of chilly. And my next bus was supposed to be there at 5.20, but it was on a 90-minute delay. I was like, great. I am excited to sit here in the dark for an hour and a half. Let's do it. Um, And then 7 a.m. rolls around, which is supposed to be when it arrives, and like four buses show up to this bus stop. None of them are my bus. And at this point, I've we figured out that there's like four other people who are also getting on this bus that goes to Lyon. And we're all asking the drivers and looking at the signs and basically like, we're like, no one's even going in our direction. So we sit back down and we wait, we wait, wait, 9am rolls around. We finally reach out to the bus company through Facebook messenger and they tell us the bus has come and gone. (laughs) We all just kind of (laughs) like looked at each other and we're like, no, no, the bus did not come here. Like, it may have skipped our stop thinking it needed to make up some time or maybe it came by and gave us the wrong information, but it did not come here. And so, yeah, I mean, I was kind of, I mean, I'm stuck. I'm here. I'm in Switzerland. I'm still 10 hours from my destination minimum. And I've just wasted four hours sitting or waiting for a bus that is never going to show up. And I had to get to Lyon that day. So I'm house setting, like I mentioned, and the homeowner had already left. She had left that morning. So like I had to get here to feed the animals, like the animals had to eat somehow. So I had, that was my motivation. The animals had to eat. I had to get to Lyon. So, I mean, luckily I was at a train station. The bus stop was right near a train station and we were able to get a train for the same price that I booked the bus. So not super cheap, but better, still better than flying. Um, and so, yeah, so three trains later, about 10 more hours, I finally made it to Leon and it was about a 26 hour journey in the end. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I mean, so the thing about that is really like, it could have been so much worse. And I just kept telling myself that the whole time it could have been cold. It could have been raining. Um, there could have been you know, no trains to Leon. There actually was not another bus. So that was one, I did actually roll that option out within about 15 minutes. I 
there was one more bus coming and it was already full. So I knew I actually kind of had to take a train at that point. Um, but I still got to see the countryside. I made two new friends, one Austrian friend, one, one French friend on the train. And I got to ride a train instead of a bus, which is always so much more pleasant. Um, so yeah, so it ended up working out and it was fine. And that kind of just kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about being flexible and trying to go with the flow and just keeping a really positive mindset because it would have been really easy to get upset or frustrated. Um, but instead I just started looking for options. I'm sorry, looking for options. I found options. And then at that point it was just a matter of following up on what they were and figuring it out. Um, and I actually had a, another situation happen to me. It wasn't really a travel mishap. It was a house setting mishap. So I was in Vietnam recently. I had a five week house set there and it was the homeowners had left that morning and it was my, so it was my first full day by myself and it was about seven o'clock at night and I had taken the dogs out for a walk and I came back and I had locked myself out of the house. And not only had I just locked myself out, the um, the latch, like, on the floor that, like, kind of, you know, where you can, like, lock the door at the floor, mm-hmm. that had fallen. Ooh. So it wasn't even a matter of me just, like, I had the keys, and I could unlock the door, but I couldn't get the door open because it was locked into the ground. And so I just, I just stood outside the door, and I was just like, what do I do? How? How do you get a door open that's latched into the ground? Um, And luckily the homeowners had emailed me sort of their like, you know, emergency contact numbers and people to contact. So I was able to contact the landlord who spoke a little bit of English. So I WhatsApped him and he was like, okay, I'll be there in 20 minutes. So I'm just standing outside with these two dogs who they're not really dogs who just sit there and kind of like lay down these are dogs who are like wandering around and wanting to play and not really being super helpful to me at the time um and so I'm standing there and their next door neighbors or they're across the little road neighbors get home from dinner and luckily they're American so they speak English (laughs) and they're like do you need help? I'm like, yes, I, I don't know what to do. And I'm just standing here on the street. Their scooters going by. The dogs are getting anxious. They're like, come over, wait over here. They like gave the dog some water, waited with me for about 20 minutes. The landlord shows up. He doesn't know what to do. He literally looks at me and like shrugs his shoulders. And I was like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, I don't know. How do we get into the house? Um, so yeah, it was kind of a, an ordeal. It was like an hour later, they finally decided to just break the window on the door to get the the latch undone and let me in the house. And then about four weeks later, the window finally got fixed. So I had a, an, an open window in my house in Vietnam for four weeks because I locked myself out of the house when I took the dogs for a walk. So again, it was kind of one of the situations where it wasn't ideal and it was really stressful and the dogs were really stressed and anxious. So I was trying to be really calm. Um, but the community of people around me were really supportive and I just tried to keep a really positive mindset. And even after that, I actually wrote in my journal, I, I just made a list, uh, of all the positive things that had happened that evening, um, to just sort of change the focus from, the stupid thing that I did into all the positive things that came out of that. 
And that really helps too, to kind of just be like, kind of shrug it off and be like, well, life experience, don't do that again. Just, I just didn't even use the latch on the bottom of the door for the rest of my time there, just to avoid that situation. That's probably the right decision. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the whole reason I had to do that was because the key lock and the door wasn't working. So the key was having issues. And so the homeowner told me like, oh, I can never figure it out. I just use the latch at the floor. So I was like, oh, so, you know, I was, I was trying to figure it out my very first day, couldn't. And so I just used the latch on the floor and that is what caused all the problems. This, uh, door technology. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> door technology. Gosh, has, why isn't it more advanced? <laughs> but yeah, so those are actually, those two things I've had to me most recently within the last like six weeks of each other, really. So I've gotten a lot of practice with patience. <laughs> And I'm sure you've also gotten a lot of practice getting to see some really cool things as well, which you've kind of alluded to. Um, But I think that would be a perfect way to segue nicely all about those segues into the top three of the episode. And I know initially I was like, hey, if you want to do your top three strangest sites, go for it. But you can also Mm -hmm. do a top three most impressive things that you've seen. Yeah. So I'm probably just going to do a mix of okay. the two Lovely. since you gave me two <laughs> options. Um, so I would say one of the strangest things was in Asia, which is probably where I expected to see some of the, the weirdest things, but just the amount of fish for sale, like in fish tanks on the sidewalk. So not like in stores or in, you know, a market or something like that, but it'll be a, some sort of food store, but they'll just have their fish tanks just out on the sidewalk and they're the fish swimming around and you can just like go purchase them to eat them. And they're the weirdest looking fish. They're not like normal fish that I think we think of that are in like the sea and the ocean or that you typically buy from the grocery store. Like some of these are like bottom feeder type fish and some of them are very eel like looking and I don't know. They're just, it's really strange. That was just like one of the things that we would sometimes just walking down the street, just stop and just like watch the fish in these fish tanks because it was just so different from anything that we normally see just, you know, walking down the street. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then I also was really, really impressed by the scooter life in Southeast Asia. So I mentioned I spent like five weeks in Ho Chi Minh City. Um, I spent a couple weeks in Thailand and then also a week in Bali. So um, scooter life is strong. Uh, People pretty much grow up riding and driving scooters and everything goes on them. So they don't really have cars. Um, So anything that they need to transport. So that could be a ladder. That could be luggage. That could be an entire family of five. Everything goes on this scooter. (laughs) And so you'll be riding down the street and I mean, you'll just see the range of things like people are super creative with and how they get things on their scooter um, and probably things that I would never try. Actually, I was really impressed. They make little like scooter baby seats. So it's like, I don't even really know how to explain it, but it's kind of like this metal chair looking thing that sits in front of the driver and like the baby is like strapped in so it's like a baby seat for a scooter 
Yeah, it's really interesting. So that was super impressive and also really strange. And sometimes I had to do some double takes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> double takes in those locations. Um, and then the other thing really just like impressed me is just New Zealand as a whole. Like the country itself is just so beautiful. And every time I think about like some of my favorite places or most beautiful places I've been or hiked, they're all in New Zealand. Um, and you take it for granted when you're there. So I was there for 10 months and you kind of just get used to really just how pretty things are and everywhere you go. And now that I've kind of, I've been away and I've been traveling for the last six months, I, yeah, I just keep thinking about it and I'm just like, it is really, really impressive how beautiful it is. Um, for such a small country, it's actually very diverse in its landscapes. So you can go from mountains to like lush greenery to flowers to hills to mountains. I mean, it's just everything, lakes, and it's just a really, really wonderful country. So I would say that's probably my other, my top three impressive slash strange things I've seen. <laughs> well, it's a wonderful list. Wonderful list. Well done. Thanks. And if people are in need of a virtual business assistant or want to keep up with the travel life on your blog, where can they find you on the internet? Or I suppose in real life, but probably the internet, I would assume. <laughs> yeah. In real life, I'm all over the place. So if you can, if you can catch me, well, I'll look, go get a beer. Um, no. Yeah. So I started a travel blog this year. Actually, I wouldn't really call it a travel blog. It's more like a digital nomad blog. Um, but that is travelingtaylor.com, traveling with one L, a tailor with an E-R. It was really probably a terrible domain name to purchase, <laughs> but that was what I went with. Um, and yeah, so I write about being a digital nomad and the realities of it and how to get started and also just uh, tips and tricks for running an online business as well. So tools and systems that you need. And uh, freelance. Yeah, that's really just the best way to contact me. I also have a LinkedIn page at Taylor Gill and you can find me on Instagram at traveling Taylor and on YouTube on my YouTube channel, uh, which I'm actually having a lot of fun making videos with. And I just finished a three part series on house sitting. So if people want to learn more about house sitting and, uh, different ways to budget travel, check me out on YouTube at traveling Taylor. Will we get to see uh, an open window? on this series? No, I didn't oh. film it. Ah, oh. that's it. I'm no, unsubscribing. It was on my Instagram. <laughs> that's when you have to go watch my Insta stories. So my Insta stories are real life, right? Like that's in the moment. That's what I'm doing right now. Um, everything else is pretty delayed by a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Well, Taylor, thank you so much for hopping on. Thank you. The, I mean, the time difference between us right now is substantial. It's really not that bad. It's like seven hours, which uh, yeah, well, again, I'm, I'm going to throw Google under the bus again, because you said you were in Central European time and I literally yeah. typed in Central European time right now in Google and I didn't do it right now. I typed in right now and it said it was six hours ahead of what my current time was. So unless... um. Oh, you celebrated what time a, zone are you in? a daylight savings. I'm in the central time zone. And oh, so, uh, no, it's definitely seven hours oh, of central time. It's very, right now. very confusing. I don't care for it. 
Thanks, well, Google. Here's here's a here's a tool tip for anybody who does work in multiple time zones, which I do every day. Um, time buddy, get yourself a time Ooh. buddy. I do like buddies. Yeah, it's a good one. There's a desktop or not a desktop app, but just like a a website, and then you can also get a phone app. So if you're out and about, you can still check the time. I love your locations. I like that. And speaking of time, it is time for the joke to end up the episode because I love corny jokes. Why did the old lady walk into a well? She didn't see that well. Get after it today, people. (laughs) 